Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we are doing the 58th Best Picture winner, Out of Africa. Out of Africa is a 1985 American epic romantic drama. Um, it is directed and produced by Sidney Pollock. It stars Meryl Streep and Robert Redford, two actors that we have seen multiple times on this podcast already and who we both always really enjoy. And who did not disappoint. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I like uh, look at that. It was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it is based on the 1937 autobiographical book of the same name by Karen Blixen under the pseudonym. I think it's pronounced Isaac Dennison. Um, there's also definitely like material pulled in from her 1960 book, Shadows on the Grass, and then like some other sources. And they definitely, from what I could tell, took some liberties with some of the like story elements. There was one bit that I saw where someone was like, it's not historically accurate because it leaves out all of this stuff that was in the book. And I was like, of course it left out all of that stuff that's in a book. That book is her in like autobiography. If you're trying to whittle it down to a movie, you got to leave some stuff out. Thankfully for us, they focus on the romance, which is the interesting part. Yeah. And just to be clear, it is still almost three hours long. So had they yeah. left all that in, I would not feel as positively as I do about the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the other thing that I want to flag is that the character of Dennis, who is played by Robert Redford, was actually like an English aristocrat. And he's very American in the movie. And for some reason feels very not aristocratic, but also I was wondering how he got all of his money to just do whatever the hell he wanted. And that makes a lot of sense. Well, also by like participating in the definitely ethically dubious ivory trade. So, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) There's a lot of ethically dubious stuff that's happening in the background um, because this is set kind of in the few years before and the few years after World War One in Kenya. And a lot of our main characters are kind of in or around that um, white aristocratic colonial upper class. So, yes, there's a lot of shit going on in the background. Um, it's yeah, I, I know I was talking with you, Maggie, a little bit before recording, and it's like I, I want to wholeheartedly love this movie, but the extremely cringe backdrop and like their lack of like contextualization, just like, uh. I mean, when you're dealing with someone's memoirs that were written in the thirties, that should actually happen. So history yeah, is complicated. I mean, history, history's fucked. <laughs> um, they did. I thought this was a really fun piece though. Um, so they did a lot of filming on location um, and around the area where like, the Blixen's house actually was. I don't hmm. think they filmed in the the actual house, but they filmed around that area, which is actually a dairy. Oh, at least at the time of filming, it actually was a dairy. Um, and they had a lot of descendants of the uh, Kikuyu tribe who like lived in that area um, participate in the filming. And actually, the grandson, the chief of the Kikuyu tribe is played by the actual chief at the time's grandson. Oh, that's kind of cool. I thought that was really cool. Um, And, you know, we'll get into it, I think, when we talk a little bit more about, like, cinematography and, like, art direction and stuff. But, like, thank God they filmed on location. Oh, it's... 
I was reading some of the reception of the film and cannot agree more that it's just this beautiful, beautiful cinematography shot composition. And like they do that part of Kenya justice and least visually. I think it took them a little bit to get there. You know, when we jump into notes for me in general, the movie like it was rough at the beginning, but it settled like it it found its place, I think. And with what it was trying to do and the story it was trying to tell for me a, almost like halfway through. And it went from a movie that I was like, eh, about to one that I was like, oh, I'm actually suddenly realizing that I'm super invested in this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of took me by surprise and snuck up on me. It did get a lot of nominations. Uh, so Sidney Pollack won for Best Director. Meryl Streep was nominated for Best Actress, but didn't win. I am kind of okay with that. I This wasn't my favorite work of hers I've seen. And I, but I think some of that is tied to the character of Karin as being mm-hmm. like a very kind of reserved, closed off character, especially at the beginning. Uh, but her the way she brought it home at the end, I just... It, I'm, I'm okay. Who, who actually won that year? I think it was Geraldine page. Do you know for what? Um, let me pull it up. The trip to bountiful. Okay. Well, I haven't seen that, so I can't really comment. Don't know what it is. Uh, I thought Meryl Streep was great and I'm glad she was at least nominated, even though I'm slightly sad she didn't win. And I do think she was still very good in this. I just think like the performances we have seen of her and, uh, like so far it was Deer Hunter and Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, it's it's she's given a lot more material to work with over the entirety of those films in my mind. Same. Agreed. Um Klaus Maria uh, Brandauer, who played uh Broer, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which I'm very down with. Um, it won for Best Adapted Screenplay, it won for Best Art Direction which I totally understand it won for best cinematography, which again with the cinematography, like the first half of the film, I wasn't very impressed with it. But when we hit the point where they're like actually like on safari and they are actually like out in like the open expanse and nature and you get like the beautiful shots, that's where it really kind of found its place for me. Mm hmm. I'm curious how much of that is the the cinematography itself versus the editing because the it even even story wise as you mentioned like we're we're very jumbled in the first part as they're setting up a bunch of different threads and a bunch of different characters yeah. and I I don't think that did anything to aid in the visuals. Agreed, agreed. I think it was you kind of had to rush to get a bunch of backstory in there, and I I don't know if it left so much time for artistry so much. <laughs> At least we didn't just chop 30 seconds off the front end into scenes. <laughs> I, you, we do not speak of all the King's men again on this podcast. I can't <laughs> with that editing. I, it also blew my mind that I literally read a review where someone was like, the editing saved this movie. And I was like, the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, we do sorry. not listen to their opinion. <laughs> We're not going back to that place. It was a dark place. Moving on. Uh, it was nominated for Best Costume Design, nominated for Best Film Editing, one for Sound, and one for Score. Um, John Barry does the score. Originally, I was okay with it having one for Score. I was Because I think it's a nice score. So originally, I was like, yeah, I totally see the score. 
But Ian, then I just happened to see what one of the other nominations was from that year for score. It was a John Williams film, wasn't it? It was not. Oh, what was it? Silverado. Oh. I mean. Yeah. Silverado is my oh. all-time favorite Western, and I finally made Ian and my roommate watch it. And um, it, the score is amazing. Yeah. I. And see, I, I'm kind of torn on the score win on this, to be honest. I think in the latter half of the film, it did so much work to heighten the right parts. But I, I literally had a note at the beginning that it was just doing too much. Like I didn't need this extremely saccharine string line over the very beginning of it that kind of is getting ahead of where the story is. Like it, it was just too much schmaltz in that moment for me. Now, when they were, Reprised on the reprise like it was great but yeah not at the beginning <laughs> it is really weird because like so much of these elements i like did not like in the first half of the film but by the end of the film i'm fully invested i'm crying like and i'm not a hundred percent sure where the switch happened <laughs> i think i know but i'm not oh, sure i know exactly where it is for me okay well maybe you can tell me uh, quickly, other nominees from that year, The Color Purple, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Prezi's Honor, and Witness. I, no surprises. Nope, haven't seen. I need I need to do much better. <laughs> We're in years where I haven't seen as much either, um, so I've not actually seen a lot of those. I The Color Purple has been on my watch list for a long time, but I know it's going to be, I know it's going to be rough. So, watch notes. Let's go into watch notes. Yeah. Hold so, on. Let me flip really far back in my notes. I took a <laughs> lot. So yeah, they started with your ever favorite narrative technique. I'm going to bring this up every time just I, because it's fun too. Well, you should just to <laughs> highlight how common it is. Stop starting stories at the beginning. And I actually, you mean at oh, the this end. made me laugh because I was in the middle of writing my note when it like addressed this. Um, it's uh, in the voiceover. There's so much voiceover in this film. And I did not like the voiceover at all, with the exception of one place at the very end. But the rest of it, I was not into the voiceover. Um, but anyway, it's older Karen um, sitting at like a desk writing. And she starts to basically tell the end of the story at the beginning, but then goes, I've gotten ahead of my story. Dennis would have hated that. He liked to hear a story well told well. And my note is me too, Dennis. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I actually we will get into it more. I've related very heavily to Dennis during a lot of this film. <laughs> I am unsurprised, uh, but it, it does once getting past that, that piece, which fortunately they do not revisit modern day Karen at the end. So we are spared that. Why uh, do it at all? I just, okay, sorry. Uh, because they got to let you know that she's back in Denmark, obviously. I, I, I don't <laughs> need to know that. Actually, let's speak about, because next she says, it really began in Denmark. And my note is, then begin in Denmark. <laughs> but I'm going to be honest, I also didn't like the Denmark piece. I know why they had it. They're oh. setting up that Karen has basically been jilted by her lover. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of makes a deal with his brother, Broar, for them to get married. And it's a pretty quick scene. And I know they're trying to give you that context, 
But I feel like we could have just started with her on the train in Africa on her way to like Kenya Mm -hmm. and gotten the context of their marriage other ways. Yeah. Through like conversation or visual clues or something, because it's very rushed. I understand Karin's a very closed off character. And I think we learn more about her backstory later that kind of explains why her initial reaction to emotions would be to bury them so deep inside. (laughs) But I was like, breaking up with your lover and then agreeing to marry his brother and move to another continent seems super drastic. And she did not seem emotionally compromised enough for like that type of response. Yeah, it I I was literally think my thought was why are we in Denmark to be honest? Uh just in general. Uh but I I agree with everything you said there. And you know, introducing the that setup through hell a letter, like it's it's kind of a contrived setup, but you could be like, "Oh, I'm writing this letter to my Or just like her explaining to somebody else like yeah. why she's on the freaking train. But also, would that would that be consistent with her closed offness? I'm not so sure. But, I think I think you could do it. Uh, you could if it was done well. So I I unfortunately am not I, like I struggled with how to actually maintenance part of this movie, and that is one piece that I definitely think could be done better. But I don't personally have great concrete ideas for how to do it better. Yeah, I mean, I just I I want it to start in Africa. I think like that's it. Is like I don't I think we can introduce that setup different ways. And then it also it's this is this through like a good chunk of the early part of the movie. I really struggled with understanding Karin and Brewer's relationship because there's like the whole line in the Denmark scene where she's basically like, we could get married. And then he's says something about like, he has no money and she's like, so marry me for mine. Or he like, he blew all his money and she says, so marry me for mine. And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not an auspicious start to a marriage. And like, because of all this stuff, it seems like later she wants from a relationship and she wants from a marriage. I'm like that. Like you a hundred percent weren't going to get that with Broer. And it was very clear from the beginning. And I later, like when she's mad at some of the decisions he's making and like, Mm -hmm. he's spending a lot of money on stuff and like changing things that they had originally agreed on. Like she thinks they're going to have a dairy. He decides they're going to plant coffee instead And even though coffee's never been grown that high, people don't know if it can even be done, let alone be successful. And she's mad about it, which is totally valid. But she also seems surprised by it, which I don't get because I'm like, you already (laughs) knew that this man blew all of his own fortune and then married you for yours. Like, I... I don't know. Like, I I just wanted more of a reason to understand why she had trusted him at all. Yeah, I I think this is neither here nor there, but that does at the very least give her some place to go from a development standpoint, because that is I think the biggest thing I see for her is the the transformation from uh, a getting older, unwed, like aristocratic 
woman in the 19 teens who apparently really needs to marry for appearances like it i I understand that motivation and i understand why she would say okay my friend is going to be okay and like do what we agreed on like there's a trust there but i didn't understand the trust because they kind of set him up from the beginning as like a blatantly untrustworthy character. And she like verbalized that she knew that (laughs) to a certain extent. So like that was weird to me. Although I love the way that their relationship evolves over the course of the film. And Mm -hmm. I think the like friendliness that exists between them, even after stuff has gotten bad. Mm hmm is very interesting and I liked that evolution, but I just, I needed a cleaner (laughs) setup. I think that was most of my issues story-wise. I just needed a cleaner setup at the beginning Yeah, because the evolution was really beautiful, but I needed a very clear starting point. Yeah. And, and to be fair that the beginning of the the movie is very much a whirlwind. So we, we see her on the train, we get this really brief introduction to Dennis who like, there's clearly some magnetism there and some like setup of Dennis's character that I love where he's doing questionable things, but seems to be this like cowboy type figure just in Africa. Well, yeah, it's it's he basically drops some ivory on the train and is like, can you uh, take this to my friend Berkeley Cole? And she's like, I don't know who that is. And he's like, you will. <laughs> um, Dennis also has some of the best lines in the film. He has some really, really good ones. Um, but I actually initially really struggled with like how to describe Robert Redford's performance as Dennis, especially at first, because I was like, he's kind of gruff, but like, I'm also charmed by him. And um, I just want to shout out friend of the podcast, Zeta Short and uh, host of the 300 Passions podcast. Uh, She was I tweeted out something about the movie and she uh, called his performance um, distant icy charm. And I was like, that is the perfect way to describe it. It is like this kind of distant, icy charm. And then you get to see him thaw. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and just his air of flippancy the entire time. It, it just he has no cares in the world, has no attachments. And he makes it very clear that he has no attachments and values his freedom. He's not here for the posturing. Um, which in contrast to her, where there's like the whole thing about how she's brought her China and crystal that is mentioned like 18 times. And she's very paranoid about breaking it, which I understand, but also like lady, you are taking fragile items, like thousands of miles over seas through uh, like trains through, you know, rough terrain on wagons. Some of it will break. Some Some of of it's going to just deal with it. If any of it makes it, you are lucky. So what that that brief introduction happens, but then this like whirlwind, uh, they were in Nairobi, right? At the, the beginning there with the wedding. Yes. Which that came out of like totally left field. I thought they were like already married and all this stuff. And they have the governor marry them. And to again emphasize how hasty this seems, the governor doesn't even remember her name. <laughs> I guess maybe you could argue that the hasty choppy pacing of the first part of the film mirrors the hasty chopping pacing of their marriage. And their plan. Yeah. That is marginal at best. 
Yeah, she basically <laughs> gets there. Um, they do a great job of setting. I'm just realizing they do such a great job of setting up Dennis's character without us getting a lot of screen time from him initially. Like we initially meet him on that train, but then we have like her seeing his books. Mm-hmm. Um, Snooping. So he I'm doesn't so glad like, she used that word. He doesn't like possessions, but he does like his books. Um, we get the introduction to Berkeley Cole, who uh, kind of serves as like a warmer friend to her mm-hmm. throughout the film. Um, we get to meet Felicity, who I quite enjoy. Although I wish they had done more with Felicity. She, she is such a background character in my mind. And I'm going to be honest. <laughs> there is a uh, a part of me that kind of... Uh, like well along in the film when Felicity's talking about how she doesn't want to go to school back in Europe. I wanted like a lesbian retelling of this, which like would not have happened, but like there was a little bit of energy there that I was like, this is not what I expected. But anyway, they kind of leave her, unfortunately. Yeah. I felt a little coded. Um, but like I, I wanted more of her character and I wanted to see like kind of maybe her relationship with Karin better. Cause I feel like, Karen has kind of worked herself into a corner and a lot of the movie is like her trying to figure out how to get out of that corner. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, you know, looking at a younger woman who is saying like, I see the direction that my life could go and I don't like it. And just like, I don't know, there could have, there could have been more there for sure. Yeah. And so again, with Brewer's, I guess infidelity, untrustworthiness. We get that at the end of the wedding too. Like on his wedding day, he's talking to uh, another woman guest at the party, which the way that it is shot and the way we see it through Karin's eyes is that it's it's a very questionable exchange. Oh yeah. Like nothing overt, but enough that we, it's we flirty. know. Yeah. It's exactly. flirty. Also, uh, I'm so here for Karin's wedding look. Oh, yeah, the hat. Oh, and that is why I love Felicity, because of that exchange about how the hat isn't much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just and so good. I think Karin's like, oh, it's supposed to be like for adornment or something. And Felicity's just like, people die of heat stroke out here. Yeah. Oh, and then the <laughs> comment about the mosquito netting and how it would only protect against very big mosquitoes. Like, oh, it's yeah. just so good. <laughs> I mean, it's setting up this idea that like Karin is not only in a country on a continent that she you know, has no experience with no knowledge of, although there's a couple of things where I was like, honey, did you do no research about the place you were going to live? Yeah. For somebody who professes to be a thought traveler later in the film, I would have expected a little bit more background knowledge from her, uh, but alas, a little bit more research. I don't know. Maybe she's doing a little bit more of the like, uh, romanticizing thought traveling and a little less of the practical. Yeah. Very fair. Cause again, as she says, thought travelers don't need to sleep or eat. And to be fair, probably in that time period, the sources of information that she would have access to about Kenya are going to be exceptionally flawed. True. Very true. <laughs> But yeah, I I was like, did you not do any research? I was like, did your husband not write to you about like who any of these people are? Because I feel like he maybe should have like written to her, like especially about like Farah, Farah, who is kind of like the I, I feel like Butler's not the right word. He is like the one who is running the household. He is her chief of staff. Yes, chief of staff, or initially at least he's Brewer's chief of staff, but he's mm-hmm. the one who meets her at the train. And I, I was like, did 
your fiance not mentioned to you at all, like who this person was who was meeting you at the train. Like it's a very awkward exchange. Oh, yeah. So Bless she's very birth. out of her element. And I think the conversation with Felicity is like highlighting that like she is out of her element among everybody, like even among this like upper class like more insular part of society that she has married into. Cause she's a baroness now. Mm-hmm. Like she is still an outsider. Like she is Danish. Most of them are English. She doesn't know what she's doing. Like she's a fish out of water in, in many regards. And, and you see that very clearly when uh, after that discussion, you mentioned about the coffee versus cattle, some choice words were said and, what she has some great barbs too, like the comment about um, uh, she referred to Broer as like her lover's brother after they were married. Yeah. And that was, oh, but then he goes away and pouts and hunts for, you know, weeks on end. But getting to see Karin kind of figure things out at the farm a bit, I thought showed some beginnings of that growth of her into somebody that is willing to take charge and make good out of a situation. Right. Um, and to be able to make like competent decisions, uh, cause like there's a segment when she's talking to the Kikuyu chief and the mm-hmm. first time it is like a, v- a very like awkward exchange in that like, she's pr- like giving all of the performance of like listening to somebody, but like, you know, she doesn't understand and far is translating for her. And there's the bit where far just gives, like we can tell that the chief has said a lot more and far mm-hmm. just gives her the baseline. And then she has to kind of coax out of him. What else did he say? And you and far kind of reluctantly tells her, you know, mirror that's mirrored later on. And it's, very different. Although later on, I was like, have you not learned any of the language? Like, any, any bit, you've been here for years. She can say hello. That much we know. But um, learn the language of your employees, please. But, um, but it is a very different vibe to the exchange. There's a lot more warmth there. You mm-hmm. have her relationship with Farah obviously gets a lot more warm as the story progresses. And I definitely want to like hit on some key points uh, between the two of them as we move through. But like we're watching her, we're watching her try. Yes. Which I think wins her some points with some people. For sure. For sure. Now, I I think throughout this whole, whole stage and uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, but like there is this backdrop of uh, the native African people just there and working on her farm and in many ways, the way that the movie frames it is that she is seen as kind of this very important and revered person. Um, I think she has to earn that. I think at the beginning, she's just the employer. Okay, fair. And I think you very much see that in uh, Farah's attitude towards her, played by Malik Bowens, who does a fantastic job. The, the I love the scenes, especially at the end with like him and Meryl Streep, where they're both being like kind of formal with each other. Mm-hmm. But there's so much that they're not saying, but that they are still communicating to each other about like their respect for each other and like the all the shit that they've seen together. Like, I, I love that last scene with the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I think, I think she does. Like, I, I don't disagree with you. Like there's, it's definitely like, like the native peoples of that region are definitely more in the background, like mm-hmm. not the main characters. Um, I, I don't think she is revered out the gate. I think that she has to earn like respect and trust. I think at, at the beginning she is the employer or even worse, she's the employer's wife. Yeah. Yeah. I just, there's so, so many things that she does that if, if you were to, to read it through a lens of <laughs> the imperialist, like it's like, Oh, she's doing so much good. It like the one um, kid who has uh I, I don't know if it was like an infection or what with his leg wound on his leg, but like, she's trying to, you know, help him fix that leg, which like on its face looks great, but there's so much underneath that where you're like, okay, how did he get his leg injured? Are, is he actually better off with having all of these colonialists here? Like, taking their land away like there's just a lot of layers of stuff that like this one act on the microcosm no he's not better (laughs) colonialist (laughs) there i'm going to say it probably good that he gets medical attention for his leg uh but i do the scene with her trying to like do the bargain i thought was like so well written it was so well written and well acted where it's like you're you're kind of like bargaining with this i somewhere between a child and a young man like he like this kid, I feel like, is like twelve. Yeah, that would that would be about yeah. where I'd peg. And um, doing like the you know, uh, well, I'll think you're a very wise man if you come get your leg. Like, let me like take a look at your leg back at the house and like, um, kind of coaxing that. And then later when she hires him on to like work mm-hmm. in the house, um, and he, oh god, what is this? He say he's. He's talking about his leg as if it's like autonomous. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's it's like, like I will leg. talk with this leg. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I will talk with this leg and we'll see if it works out. Like I, I thought that was a, a very kind of cute, funny exchange. <laughs> yes. I, I completely agree with that. And it does. Um, I, I think it's clouded a bit by. I think Karin's views of herself potentially is a little bit of a savior figure. Like we've got that white savior complex. Well, the school, Um, like there's the idea of the school, which, um, Dennis kind of calls her on. Yeah. Which where she's like talking about, like I created the school and like, it's important. And he's like, but did you like, did you ask them if they wanted it? Yeah. And of course she didn't no, because <laughs> she thinks that her, her way is the best way, which is at least she found herself a missionary who agreed to do the ABCs first and the God last, which I thought was a funny line. And honestly feels very her like she doesn't give a shit about the, the God part of things, which is, I guess, makes her more benevolent. Maybe not. Ap- anyway, no, I think I think she's a person who I think in. In her course, she's a kind person who is trying to do what she thinks best. Now, is what she thinks best really what's best? Maybe not. Probably Maybe not. not. Is she going to be able to separate herself from the problematic imperialist nature of especially that time? Probably not. Yeah. In we're kind of talking about a lot of different stuff because a lot of different varied things happen. And I think this again is 
trying to express how kind of disjointed the first part of this film felt. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't quite know. I mean, I knew going into it that it was supposed to be like a big sweeping romance, but like up until this point, I was like, I mean, I know something's going to happen with her and Dennis, like obviously, but I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure where this is going or like when our main romance plots, like really mm-hmm. going to kick in. But two scenes I do definitely want to hit on. One is when Dennis, quote unquote, saves Karin from a lion. Yes. Oh, the lion becomes such an important symbol of mm-hmm. like her fears and anxieties. Oh, for sure. Because she is out uh, surveying her land, sightseeing. I don't know why she was out on a horse, but ends up that a lion, she comes upon a lion or a lion comes upon Linus. her. Linus, yes, without her gun. And it's just kind of looking at her a little bit like okay you're interesting and in sweeps robert redford to be like calm down don't run yeah like if you run she'll think you're prey basically if you try and run from your anxieties and your fears instead of facing up to them then they'll just catch you in the end and consume you yeah and we'll bury what's left. And um, I love the like, where's your rifle? She's like, in my saddlebags. And he's like, that's not smart. <laughs> well, and it's like the horse can't shoot. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's such a such snarky a response. But he, he kind of, I think she views it as him saving her to some extent. Which you could argue that him coaching her through that did save her. Because she would have been lion feed and she given into her impulse. Absolutely. But it sets up a very like the tone of their relationship, which is he, I think, is there to help her and he will always support her through a situation, but he's not going to necessarily like step in or take charge or like Mm -hmm. it's it sets this tone for a lot more of like an equal supportive relationship between the two of them than anything we see with her and Broer, where Broer's like, fuck what you want. We're planting coffee now. Like it's a very different relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that flows directly into the next set of scenes with Mm -hmm. the storytelling. So Cole and Dennis are at the farm, you know, Wherever Broer is, he's is. But um, Karin is entertaining them, serving them dinner. And in the course of this conversation, they start talking about um, kind of what she has to bring to the table for entertainment. Can't sing. Might, might could cook, but the storytelling is the thing that, that goes on there. And the way that they set this up is glorious because Dennis is like, let me try and throw you through a loop. I'm going to talk about. Because what she says is she sets up this game. They're like, tell us a story. She's like, well, when I would tell my nieces stories, they always supplied the first line. So they like give her a line and then she runs with it and creates the story. And that's where Dennis steps in. Exactly. And so he's talking about this um, Chinese man who is living in, I believe, some European city. Mm-hmm. And, and a girl named Shirley. Yes. Like basically just trying to be like, I want to pull as many different locations and like shit that might not necessarily like be together that you wouldn't think would be together so that mm -hmm. you don't know where to go. And she weaves this like entrancing love story together 
Um, and we kind of show it through these like smooth, soft transition, little montage kind of showing the passage of time as like the she's candle telling. going down, burning yes. down. But uh, just the fact she runs with it and it's like, surely who knew Chinese because of her missionary parents? Like you knew from that point she was not going to back down from this. Yeah. But they end up reclined in front of the fireplace, drinks in hand. And a doc, like, I can't even remember the line at the end. It's killing me, but it, it got even more bizarre this in was the ending. The <laughs> first scene, though, where I really was like full attention into it. And it was because we finally got to get some Redford Streep chemistry, mm-hmm. like, really going in a scene. And Cole was there, but was he? <laughs> so. But this also Only physically <laughs> true <laughs> and and with the chemistry as well, this I think is where the editing and the cinematography started to actually coalesce into something that worked really well. Agreed. The nighttime cinematography is where it's at. Yeah, I'd agree because, well, I, I guess uh, in addition to all of these scenes, we also know that World War One has broken out and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the sequence of Karen driving a supply wagon to her husband and his regiment, um, which I do want to highlight, though, they also kind of through that sequence um, highlight kind of Dennis as a little bit of an outsider as well, mm-hmm. uh, because there's the bit where you have the guy at the club is like trying to be like, we all got to pitch it and help and everything. And Dennis walks out. And then later there's like the cut where Cole walks out. Um, and Cole's just basically being like, Dennis, like, it's just it, like, it's fine. Like, we'll get involved and then it'll be over and everything can, mm-hmm. uh, we can pick up where we left off. And Dennis says it may end, but we will not pick up where we left off in like a very kind of foreboding Cassandra E type of prediction about world war one. And I think that's also showing that like, Dennis is also a bit of an outsider, even amongst his friends. Mm -hmm. He is. Okay. I'm going to throw this out there. And if you think it is total bullshit, please cut it out. But it it almost feels like he's the male equivalent of the cool girl. At least in that scene, like a little bit like I'm not like other. Dennis has (laughs) a little bit more. There's like a commentary and a little bit of like philosophizing that happens with Dennis. I think he's. He's a little too wise (laughs) to be realistic sometimes, if that makes sense. Like he. He is. I don't know. Like he. I know he's he's the hero. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's we, we still love him for his. We do. We get layers for him a little little later on. Exactly. Um, But to go back to that, that supply drive really quick, it does. I I think that really cements some of of Karen's adventurous side, because while they had to work through her getting them lost, she ultimately is saved by Dennis and given the token, the the compass but yes i puts like her on that the right path where i do he, too he gives her the compass like he's not saying turn back he's not saying oh i'll take it from here mm-hmm. hun he's giving her the tools that she didn't know she didn't have and saying mm-hmm. here's the tool here's how you use it go do it and she 
does. And she now, does. The comedy of her appearance when she rides into I camp. I also love too where Cole's <laughs> like, but you're lost. Maybe you should turn back. And she's like, no, I know where I am now. Like, I'm not lost anymore. Yeah. I, and I, I think love this that. is too where we start to see like um, her proving herself to Farah. Cause like there's mm-hmm. the bit where she initially is like sleeping in the tent kind of away from everyone away from the fire. But then she hears the lion and she just pulls her sleeping bag next to the fire with like the other people in the caravan. Yeah. She's like, nah, man, I'm here. And the lion attack scene, like as, as much yes. as I was kind of like, why are you fighting your way through this brush? Like she fights her way through these thorny branches to fight off a lion with a whip that is attacking one of the oxen. Like, yeah, she is stepping up to this challenge in such stark contrast to that scene we mentioned earlier. She's with facing the those fears a little bit more. Is she able to conquer them completely? Not yet, but she is starting to manifest a bravery that we've not really seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do love Farah's lines after that, where he, when he's like kind of helping like tend her wounds and he's like, the lioness doesn't have the bison we don't have the bison like basically being like, why, why did you fight your way through that? Like, yep. Thorny bush. Because are we any better off for it? No, (laughs) but it does introduce that in my opinion, wonderfully pragmatic. Well, is it pragmatic? Is it pessimistic? I don't know. But the, the idea that, uh, God is laughing at us and we are just his playthings. Yes. Well, and I will say this movie there, it is not a benevolent God that is referred no, to. No, no, no. It is very much a, a God with a dark sense of humor. And that is one example where now you're all spike it up and you still don't have your bison. <laughs> but I think, I think too, in that scene, like the humor there is showing like is starting to be like, okay, like you're the employer I respect. Mm-hmm. Like, do do I think you were stupid to fight your way through a thorn bush to fight a lion with a whip? Absolutely, I do. But Brewer would not have done that. Right. He he's brave in different ways, not in physical ways. No. <laughs> um. Yeah. So after the lion attack, they do make it into. The regiment's camp. And she they looks were a not mess. Cheering her, those assholes. <laughs> well, the the tone that the oh, what what is his name um, used when he's like, "Tell Blix's wife is here." <laughs> it's like what like, Del- Delamere or whatever. I think so. Uh, D it, it, D. Yes, it was him. Um, it's just great. Like the amount of they doubted her and she she overcame. Yeah. Now she looks a little crazy, but I it it plays well. But here's where we get a little bit of a sweet interaction with her and Broer, mm-hmm. where because they did not like when he left, it was not on good terms. There's the whole thing where she like kind of gives him a kiss. and He's like, that's no kiss for goodbye. And she says, I'm better at hello. Yeah. Which was a well, great line. And she had a line earlier about how it's hard to fall on some fall in love with somebody who always leaves. So yeah. it's there is that tension there. Yeah. Um, but it's a very sweet scene with them. In the tent. Um, and I think, is that where she says, I didn't think I'd like you so much? Mm-hmm. I um, think so. And he's like, yeah. I like you too. <laughs> and, and and he expresses like some pride in like her, you know, making it to, to bring them the cattle and like kind of mm-hmm. doing it herself. And um, I just, it's a very unexpectedly sweet moment 
between the two of them. And I do like when she says, I did get through and it was fun. Mm, yeah. Yeah. She's definitely caught the like wanderlust. Yeah. Like no longer a mental traveler. Exactly. Um, so then we get a very consequential scene for Karin. So she, she comes down very sickly with something when she returns back to the, the farm, come to find out that it is syphilis that she or only could have gotten syphilis. Yes. In the 19 teens. Just going to throw that out there. Before antibiotics. Now, her Meryl Streep's performance when the doctor was talking to her and she was kind of coming to terms with that was, I thought, brilliant. Yeah, I, I was not fully sold in her performance through the probably the first third of the movie. But like when we're this is where I think it started to pick up for me. Mm. It It was great. And any little bit of help that the doctor tried to give, like she basically turned down, which, again, is such a. Uh, an important thing for her character to show that she is determined to be self-sufficient as much as she, she can. Now, like she's had a lot of money. She had a really easy start, relatively speaking. Yeah. They're not broke yet. The coffee no. crop hasn't failed yet. Um, exactly. But they are uh, like, she's going to have to go back to Denmark to get treatment. There's like an arsenic based medicine they can use. I was reading um, cause I did a little bit of reading on, um, the actual car and Blixen. But uh, so like that actually did happen to her, but people are not a hundred percent sure if she actually did have syphilis and if it was a misdiagnosis and then her subsequent symptoms were heavy metal poisoning because at the time arsenic and mercury were used to um, treat syphilis. Well, that would be a tragedy. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Jesus. Now, now the montage of her healing and us not seeing her in Denmark, I thought was a perfect creative choice. Yes, there was more voiceover, though, was there not? I mean, there was the voiceover, but I was OK with it here because it is her story. And like, how else are we going to? I don't know. I but, Just a different way. I did love the passage of time, though, with Farah mm-hmm. changing out the flowers. That was glorious and i mean the the fact that Broer actually did step up to help manage the farm for yeah. once you and got to he, see that and he says that like when she's talking to him being like i have to go back and everything he's um i i like that he fully takes responsibility he oh yeah she it's, says something about like i you'll need to talk to the others talking about like whoever he slept with and then she says um i hope they get it and he just goes no no no. like it's all it's all me like this is all my fault um so he's not shirking away from that responsibility but like if only he would like he's taking responsibility like now if only he would not do that and not spread syphilis to people that would be freaking great it's broad you can only expect so much i know it's a low bar and he sometimes reaches it (laughs) um but i do also like after she's talked to the doctor or or is it when she's about to leave, when she runs into Dennis again? About to leave, yep. Yeah. And doesn't that, doesn't want to tell him. Yeah, and that's the only time you really see her stumble with any words with Dennis, which I thought was such a, a nice touch to show how broken down her character is at this point. And that, like, 
that's like, you know, probably not something that she would tell like a ton of people, but the, like she especially cares about like Dennis's opinion of her. Yeah. She comes back. There's a victory parade. The war has been won. Yep. Huzzah. God save the queen, according to all of the. Oh, my God. I OK, so I actually did like this scene, though. So when Dennis is drunk, um, he and Karen have like totally a moment or Karen. Sorry. Um, have totally that have war a moment. Interrupts. I know. Brewer, stop cock blocking your wife. Um, <laughs> anyway, she doesn't cock block you. <laughs> Somebody should that eye roll you just gave. I, I, I sorry, I had to point it out because you can't hear it. <laughs> I feel like you could have. It was loud enough. Um, we have like uh, that bit. There's more of her like going back to the farm. Uh, we do a, see some success with the farm, which yeah, is really a great. Bit though, where Farah tells her, "You are not a chief." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Good, "Somebody school- finally said it." Yeah, that was the school that opening the school. scene where she's like, da, 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 why can't kids this tall? And yeah, it's I, I'm glad that Farah did kind of put him in, put her in her place. So um, but New Year's Eve 1919 pivotal scene. And this is where, in my opinion, the entire movie changed. I'm going to agree. I think this is where like there were scenes before this where I was invested for a specific scene. You get glimmers. I think this was the moment where suddenly I was a hundred percent in fully invested in the story. Like this, this is where I started pausing to take notes. Mm, Nice. So they're at this new year's Eve party for new year's 1919. Um, We do see Karen and Dennis kind of dancing. I, there's a little bit at the beginning that I'm kind of skipping over, but we know that Broer, we see him leaving with somebody. We see Karen dancing with I Dennis. I hope he disclosed his possible syphilis. It, you're I ask, hope he's been you treated. Not, I know. You're not asking I, too much. I'm asking. Maybe from Broer you are. Bare, I'm asking the bare minimum. <laughs> um, she's dancing with Dennis and strikes midnight she looks for board he's nowhere to be found dennis steps in and kisses her which i love how at first she's like uh what's going on and then leans back in for a second we need to talk about too what happens song wise everyone's singing old lang syne this old british lady fires a pistol (laughs) indoors and starts singing god save the the king it would have been king then right was it king or queen at the time There was mentions about uh, Victoria and Wilhelm, so I I would assume... I thought Victoria's reign ended in, like, 1901, though. Oh, you are correct. So it would have been queen. it was king. It would have been... It would have... It should have... If it was historically accurate, it probably should have been king. Hmm. Um, I could have sworn it was queen, but... Maybe that's what they did, and it was inaccurate. Um, But that's a weird detail I just got hung up on. Um, Don't worry about it. Anyway... (laughs) Uh, so all of the, the Brits, which is the majority of the place, um, start singing that. And then that's when I think Dennis kisses her and she, or is he, does he kiss her in all things? She kisses him back. Exactly. In all things. And then it switches to God save the queen. And then she kisses him back. They're going at this like outsider characterization of both of them again, which is so great. And that's when she kind of leaves is like, I'm done with this. I'm out. Yeah, and I think that's the moment where 
like for both of them and for us as an audience, their relationship and their love story is now the center of the piece. Mm -hmm. And this is where I was like, I'm in. Oh yes. And the car ride home, which one is shot beautifully, but two, the writing, her line is something along the lines of someone has left her under things in the back. I would like you to take a place in town, (laughs) which is a a very clear, like, okay, we are, we meaning she and Broer are now separated, which I think for her is finding this, this voice that we've kind of seen coming in small spurts, but you get to cheer for her for like advocating for herself and realizing that she doesn't have to deal with Broer's bullshit. Realizing that, like, she does not need him and, frankly, never really needed him. He's not helped her really at all. (laughs) Except for when he did the bare minimum of managing a farm that, like, he ostensibly owns while she was getting treated for syphilis that he gave her. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we have Karin. This is where she's really starts throwing herself into work to kind of deal with, I think her grief over the fact of like, she's, she took the step of advocating for herself, but she also now has to admit that like her marriage has failed. Yeah. And it becomes clear later that like Karin has very much always seen herself as like a, Oh, I am an upper class woman. This is how my life is supposed to go. This is how it's Mm going to, going to be. And also up until this point, we do see a lot of, uh, it's like, ownership her views of ownership are pretty clear like it's it's my farm it's my marriage it's my person and so seeing her thing kind of devolve is not great for her she and we'll does come back not like being out of control no which is i just wonder why she decided to move to africa if that is what she doesn't like being out of control because like there's a lot that can when you, it's, it's not Denmark. <laughs> she's she's living like remotely in a place where lions can come up on her when she like takes a ride. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a base level of chaos that I'm surprised she's OK with. But that, I, it's that running a farm anywhere like there's a base level of like chaos <laughs> and uncertainty. So n- next big sequence, which is my favorite is broadly the safari with uh, Dennis. So uh, Dennis comes with a gift, a phonograph, um, which always played Mozart. Exactly. And I love how it kind of called her into the house, which is, he has a line about how, Oh, it's something that actually worked for once. Yeah, (laughs) It it was nice, but he, they have this battle of wills about her coming on safari with him. And of course she loses. But because the ending she, because she wants to you know, like she oh, wants to go with him and it's so clear she just has to give herself permission to do it exactly which i love she said something along the lines of like if you liked me you wouldn't ask this of me <laughs> and then we immediately pan to them in a car on safari <laughs> yeah i love the bit where they're in oh my god this is like where we really get to see redford's charm this is like this was giving me like I was like making me think about like the sting and Butch Cassidy mm, and Sundance mm-hmm. Kid this bit where um, they're like s- surrounded by the buffalo and they're like kind of like in the way of like the little road that they're following. And What's that word you had? Shoe. 
what was it, right? Shoe? <laughs> you just started screaming shoe at the, the buffalo the way that she did at the lion that one time. Oh, boy. But immediately, like, the car ha- has broken down and they have to work together to fix it. So there oh. is this, like, and, little and bit of... Just do it again. Do yep, it again. Yep. And it's a hand car. crank car. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's so great. But they now, do it together. Say, There's that partnership. Exactly. And, like, this camaraderie in adversity. Dennis is, like, totally a feminist and I'm so into it. <laughs> So when was the last time we had a feminist hero, Ian? Ever. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Brendan Fraser in The Mummy, maybe. Yes, absolutely. I forgot we did that movie. I don't know how I forgot we did that movie, but I love that movie. Yeah. So anyway, they're on safari, but they're still dining on white tablecloths with wine and things, I which know. I just find hilarious. <laughs> and they have their Mozart playing. So it's it's still this kind of like, uh, you're such a schmuckety schmuck overtone but i still love them because of the chemistry they're giving i was gonna say these scenes the dinners during the safari are just incredible like edge of your seat you're really seeing them both kind of open up to one another the chemistry's there it is so so good and we get one of my favorite action scenes actually in this movie and this is where they come upon three lions eating they try to back away slowly and between the way they look at them their feet backing and the lions focused and just the tension they're able to build all of a sudden there is an attack and they used slow-mo beautifully chariots of fire take note <laughs> yep but we saw this progression with Karin from scared shitless of a lion to fending off a lion with a whip now to having a lion charge at her and she takes it down. Yeah. And so like this, I don't want to say act self actualization, but it is, is kind of like her an outward visible sign of that, like growth in strength that she's gone through. Yeah. I totally see those lion, like the lion as purely like a symbol of like, her fears and insecurities and anxieties Mm -hmm. and it's the steps of her facing that and she has faced it now and you know what that leads into because now she is somewhat self-actualized you get well we also oh wait wait wait, we have to go back because the hair washing scene was so sweet oh my god i wrote that too i wrote that down too i love the hair washing scene we'll just the safari we're going to talk about a little bit out of order order but all of this stuff happens during their safari it does and and so she's trying to kind of fix her hair but dennis offers to fix it and he washes her hair while reciting poetry like my heart what melted (laughs) Now there were some hippos in that scene, and I was like, "I was also really nervous because I was like, hippos are fucking mean." (laughs) I also was real nervous about the hippos, but Um, fortunately, they were just trappings of the set, not actual parts of the story. Yes, yes, Um, but no, that scene is so sweet, and I feel like it's it's having um, Dennis kind of break um, like macho masculine hero stereotype a little mm-hmm. bit too by like having him do like the caretaking in mm-hmm. that scene and reciting poetry 
but you'd still do get some of his like fire when he talks about skipping verses and it's like, Oh, oh I don't, God, yes. I don't do the boring parts. Yes. Only I love that. <laughs> I was like, I'm so here for this. So it, it, we kind of saw hints of this part of Dennis, but we get like the full blown intellectual romantic side. Yeah. There's also uh, a conversation where they're having where, um, Karin does like open up to him about like, I went to Denmark to be treated for syphilis. And he expresses that he knew. Um, and he was just kind of like waiting for her to feel comfortable to tell him about it. Um, and she opens up about like, um, you know, I'm, I'm cured. They say I'll have a normal life now, but I can't have children. And that was something in an earlier scene with Brewer that she had expressed that like she did want children. Although they have that scene while they're already married and like moved in together in like the middle of their farm. And she's like, oh, so we never talked about children. And I'm like, y'all maybe should have talked about that. Okay. They barely talked about anything. Remember, they got married one hour after her arrival in Nairobi. Like- <laughs> they were engaged before that, though. Anyway. um, And so he kind of very insightfully is like, oh, so the school. And she agrees. Like, so the school, like that was her trying to channel a maternal uh feeling into something mm-hmm. that she could and she says so that's all i am now that in the farm and he his just very simple no because she's not she's, she's more than that yeah. <laughs> she's an individual human but we we kind of end this montage with some dancing and honestly it's up there for me. One of the sweetest like love scenes ever. It's so sweet. She is like hurt her lip when she was shooting the lion as one does. Apparently my take on that was that I wasn't sure if the rifle kicked and like split her lip or if she was just really nervous and bit her own lip too hard. Either way. I loved that touch. Yeah. And we also get Um, the more like him taking care of her too at the end of that scene. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, will this hurt? And she's like, no. And so they kiss. That's so sweet. And and her line of, if you say anything now, I'll believe it. I'm just like, oh. Oh, my heart. I, I just, the again, the writing, I know this was based off of what seems to be extremely well-written material. Like, if these lines are kind of facsimiles of what was in that memoir so or biography. From what like, I understand, because my thought with the voiceover, as much as I hated it, was I was like, oh, that's how they want to get passages from the book in. Um, but actually, only the last two voiceovers are passages from the book, and the rest was kind of like written in that style. And then I was hmm. like, why did you do it then? And I had a whole little <laughs> fit. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure how much of the dialogue would have been taken necessarily from the book, but I think it's definitely very articulate, poetic dialogue, which considering mm-hmm. that the main character is an author, um, I think I think is fitting. And you know what? I'm sorry. I want my romance written like poetry. And let's just say they didn't leave any of the boring verses in. (laughs) So so we get this beautiful scene, but immediately we start seeing the decline of Karin's time in Africa. So she is back at the farm. She kind of had this, this like respite 
this, it, it, it's like their relationship. And I think she even says it at some point kind of lives outside of everything else. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost an escape or a fantasy. And they never talk about the, I, I think she's called it like the small and normal things of life. It was always kind of this bigger intellectual stimulation that they brought one another, which I think is so sweet and yeah. I can, yeah, get behind, but, <laughs> but also you should be able to talk to your partner about your shitty day at the office. I mean, true, but that's again, why Dennis runs off all the time. Cause he doesn't want that. And he wants his freedom above all else, but we'll, we'll get there after we talk about Cole. Cause Cole has kind of been in the background for a while, but he comes to visit and talk with Karen. He's like, be careful about Dennis. Cause remember when Mac makers reach the edge, they say there be dragons here, which I thought was such a great like caution mm-hmm. of there might be something more, but well, I think it's, it's more carefully. of just a like Dennis, Dennis. Yeah. He doesn't like people trying to tie him down. And she's no. very much expressed that she like, wants people there mm-hmm. she likes possessions he does not like possessions her china and crystal so uh but we do find out over a little bit of additional time that um cole has blackwater fever so there's a, a kind of sweet as sweet as it can get scene between dennis and cole at cole's house whatever, where um, a Somali woman is, you know, taking care of him. And Dennis is like, oh, shit, you're actually going to die. What do you want to happen? What do you want to have? Cole reveals that, like, that's his partner. Yeah. And the the whole thing, the line about uh, taking him home. And it's like, no, I am am home, home. I suppose. Yeah. And that, uh, that killed me. And, And really what, oh, God drove the nail in the coffin. Sorry. The funeral. So sorry. The funeral. Uh, yes. And the fact that, that his partner can't even like be there. I, I, that was the first time I cried. Yeah. Because she's just looking on from the opposite side of the fence from the, the church courtyard where, or not courtyard, sorry, cemetery where they're burying coal yeah. and just, uh, it is very sad. Yeah. Like very, very sad on many levels. Meanwhile, Dennis has moved in. I love how roundabout a way he has to go about asking where it's like, what if I were to just move my stuff here? <laughs> it's like so passive. Like, just come like, on. I'm going to get rid of my room at the club. It seems kind of useless to have it. But if I just like worked from here. And he does. And he gets a plane too. Yes. Because there uh, was an earlier scene. I love that where, earlier scene where he's the plane goes overhead and he's instantly like, I want that. Yeah. Um, which is such a, a thing that he would do. He is definitely a total flyboy. Like, oh, yeah. That is his personality too. Freedom, too. all that shit. Um, next is a scene. That has one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. And I think I clapped when this happened. Um, and it's when Brewer comes back by the house. And um, he is, is this when he asks for his, for the divorce? Uh, no, that was at a sporting event where okay. we see Felicity win 
He does. He, I think it's around this time that he's asked for the divorce, right? Uh, well, is he asking is for money later? at this point? No, or? this is when he comes by to ask for money. You're right. Okay. And I was like total sugar mama vibes right here, which I love for her. I know. <laughs> well, I love, yes, because he says the line, um, I've got this terrible urge to kiss you. And she just hands him the check. <laughs> Shuts that shit down. Um, but as he's leaving, he says to Dennis, you might've asked Dennis. And Dennis says, I did. She said, yes. Uh, just took him out of the middle. It that I wrote that line down too. Oh, it was so good. So good. Now, it's just a general uh, talking about this particular sequence. It it's a lot of sweet scenes with Karen and Dennis, one of which is a picnic where they talk about wanting to be buried on this hillside that is has gorgeous views and they're kind of funny about it where it's like, okay, if I get eaten, bury me here and, and Dennis responses. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we are really getting how close the two have come, even though Dennis is kind of out and about with lots of frequency. Cause it's, it's, we see him leave all the time. And that's when we get to see Karen kind of run the farm and get things moving there. And then I think, and the, the farm definitely isn't like, like there are farm troubles that are kind of happening in the background. Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah, not everything's going super smoothly. Um, there is, I think it's it is after, um, Roar asks for the divorce. I think that's where you start to see a little bit more tension in Dennis and Karen's relationship, and I think it's because probably before that, like she wanted him there, but also like she was still married to Broer, mm-hmm. so like there wasn't a whole lot that they could like move forward in the relationship with, you know what I mean? Like they, they kind of had to be in this stasis. Um, well, and they didn't have to confront the reality of what each wants. Yeah. And then Brewer asking for the divorce. I do like where she's like, I'll have to accuse you of something. Or did you think it'd be the other way around? And he's like, no, nope. like, nope. accuse me of whatever you want. I've probably done it. And I'm like, why did you think this marriage was going to work ever? Yeah, but it, it is that scene is why I really liked their relationship. So they I agree. He, Brewer especially did, did really shitty things. He but never time, makes an excuse for them. Exactly. He never stops doing them either, which is an issue. But like there, there becomes like an affability between them where I feel like once they've like been through and recognized the shit and he's taken responsibility, like they're able to move back to that like friendship that they started as. Yeah. And that's, I think he, they even say that's why they're, they're still friends is because they started as friends. Mm hmm. So that part's kind of sweet, but the, the, what I see is the next kind of pivotal scene is this coming to terms with the fact what Karen wants and what Dennis wants. I don't, I think we skipped over it, but there, before even this happens, there is the scene of them flying together in the plane that is just beautiful. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I did. It was maybe a smidge long, but it was pretty enough that I don't think I minded. Yeah, it was extremely beautiful and they like hold hands she like, in the back. air yeah. it's sweet it's and cute. the music that is where the score i i thought did everything we needed and there's okay so to go off on like a slight score tangent no, no, for, no, for a hot second go off that particular score 
they lean so heavily on what I recently heard called the nostalgia note that resolves into this super contented sounding chord. It's an E flat. If you're curious, the one example that was given was the end of white Christmas, the end of the musical number. It's very often used in, in like holiday music in the United States. So like culturally speaking, that is what we get is this like nostalgia from it. So they layered that in, but then they add this dark, slightly sad second theme after that resolves that had me worried from the get-go because I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I know shit's about to hit the fan and this is not going to last. So again, just speaking of how that score was able to like evoke all of these emotions in that beautiful scene is just, I, I, that is why I'm okay with it's it won for score, right? Yes. Yeah, that that's why I'm okay with it. Even though the very I, beginning, I thought was much Silverado. too schmaltzy. Silverado. Okay, Silverado. If you don't was agree with good. me on this, I'm going to cry. Silverado was good, but I didn't hear any nostalgia notes in Silverado. Ian, it's all beautiful <laughs> horns, and the and also, frankly, I think the cinematography is better in that movie too. Um, I'm gonna go there. Anyway, we won't we won't talk about that movie <laughs> right now because we'll do an episode on it in the future. Yes. Um, but we do get a setup on the white sand beaches, which I, I think was kind of a, a, such an interesting way to set that up because well, it also harkens back to a story. Back. Yes, because exactly. they're in one of the dinners at the safari. Uh, it's the one before they they have their kiss. Um he gives her the line to like start a story and she moves into it, but she like can't like, she's too like, she is tripped up this time by like her emotions and mm -hmm. she's being like, Oh, and they washed up on a beach, a white sand beach. A it white was so white that. Yeah. And, and that yeah. trails off. Yeah. So good. But this discussion that they have around the campfire on the beach is pretty tense because she, she's essentially trying to advocate for herself and say, hey, I need I, I want you around more. I need you around. And he doesn't seem to understand where she's coming from. And she doesn't understand no. where he's coming from because he does not want his freedom abridged in any way. Well, OK, here here's the thing. Ian, do you think either one of them is wrong at the moment? No, but I think they're fundamentally incompatible. Agreed. Or they're neither of them have quite realized that they're going to have to compromise yet. Right. And both of them are so strong-willed. We see what's coming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she's like she basically she wants him there and he's saying I I think he always makes the point though I always come back. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think she sees him going away as not being invested. And he's trying to explain to her, no, 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 no. The fact that I do repeatedly return, that I always return, is because I am invested. Mm -hmm. It's This is the conversation again, where I also very much related to Dead Ends. <laughs> but I was so, like, I need me time. Fair, fair. Now, if we fast forward to the scene between them in the manor where she's sitting there mending his shirt, mm -hmm. 
And he's talking about going away and Felicity joining. Well, and and it starts with him being like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm mending your shirt. And he's like, you don't have to do that. (laughs) Like, stop. Yeah. Because I think it's a little too domestic for him. It's very domestic, but also like that is her way of showing that she cares. Right. But to him, that's not a symbolism of caring. That's a symbolism of like. Ball like and chain. ownership almost like yep. well and i think he is this the conversation where he talks about everything it's always like my farm my marriage like mm-hmm. he's like yes. there are two of us in here right now i will say too though her line about how sometimes the things we want come with a price yes like that was like oh shit like yes you have your freedom but if you want to be with Karen, like you have to give some concessions. Well, and especially thinking about like the way she has kind of had to deal with things up to this point, like she has definitely made some concessions and like made some sacrifices, um, you know, to, to move there. Like she married someone who she wasn't in love with, like, you know, Mm -hmm. she is getting a divorce, which even if she's accusing him of stuff, like is still going to be a bit of a mark on her at that time. Like she's had to sacrifice some stuff and he hasn't, but also he doesn't understand like why she like, he doesn't want to be like claimed like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So this is where the ultimatum comes down and it's, it's essentially like, or he's like Felicity wants to go with me and she's not okay with that. And he's like, um, like are you like he's like are you worried like he's trying to get to the root of the issue Mm -hmm. and she's like i'm not worried but also like i don't want this like i feel like she's having to grapple with some of her own insecurities in that moment Mm -hmm. but she she ultimately says like hey you're gonna have to keep your stuff elsewhere if this is how this is gonna go oh and he straight up tells her like this is not the way like (laughs) this is not the way to get me to do something (laughs) Well, but she's also got to look out for her own emotional well-being and consistently having him around when, as far as she's concerned, he's unavailable. Right. Like, no, they're not just, good for her. They both just are very not compatible in this moment. Yeah. So that relationship is on the rocks. I think I just have a note and I think it's referring to this section. I don't know exactly, but I just have a note in my notes that says everything is fucked. Yes. And and everything gets this point in the movie more fucked because they have a a brilliant, amazing harvest and it's so exciting and like the way it's filmed is dynamic and you get great score and it's, it's like, okay, and they needed it so badly. It's been established that like they really needed this. She's mortgaged the farm. Yeah. Like, mortgaged it away so they have to have this money and there's the fire her warehouse burns down and this is where again that that thought of a vengeful and puckish no there's more malevolence than that god like it comes about again because she's essentially like it's the best best harvest we ever had and then god remembered yeah. Well, and I think it's either before or after that point, too, there's the bit where like the dam to the pond collapses. And mm-hmm. in contrast to earlier, where um, she was like, no, we'll dam the water and we'll build a pond. And they were like, that water belongs in Mbasa. 
And uh, she's like, no, 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 we'll dance. Like, it'll get there eventually after it goes to a pond. Like, we'll build a dam. Like, the dam breaks. She's saying, like, just let it go. Like, it belongs in Umbasa anyway. Like, the evolution we've seen. And I feel like it's also a little bit of her, like, it's symbolic of her relationship with Dennis, right? Like, she tried to control that relationship and it didn't work. And now it's also burning down a little bit. Like you can't, you can't control nature. <laughs> yeah. You can control very little. Uh, so she's basically like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Now the one, one thing that I'm extremely happy that she attempted to do is find a place for all of the Kikuyu people that was were living on her land, because it's been established that they live on her land. And the fact that she is now going to lose it means that they are going to get kicked off. Yeah. And there's her speaking to the various British officials. And I love the bit where she's talking to that one guy. He's like, I'm afraid it's impossible. And she says, it always is. Who should I see next? Takes it. Oh, she doesn't give a shit. No, takes it right up to the governor. Like, I mean, she knows that like, this is the bureaucracy that like it is specifically put into place to disenfranchise people. And like, she's going to try. Does she mm-hmm. really have a shot? Not really, but she's going to try. But Hey, in the least socially acceptable area, which I mean, she's already essentially a social pariah. I love that. She caused a scene and all the British people clutched their pearls. You can't, that's the worst thing you can do. Ian is cause a scene. <laughs> But she 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 begs the governor, literally gets on her knees and begs the new governor to help her out and finds an ally in the governor's wife. Yeah. And that that line about how the governor's wife is so sad that she won't get to know Karin, I think, is such an interesting, interesting thing for her to say. And also like hit home for me where it's like, OK, there was a recognition that that Karin has done some big things. Yeah. And it's nice that there's a little bit of women supporting women in this film, considering that like a large portion of it deals with adultery. Yeah. And it could very much have not gone that way. Um, Speaking of kind of a recognition of Karin as like someone who has become an important member of society, or at least a certain part of society at this point is when she leaves at the club which she had initially entered trying to like find her husband. And they were like, Oh, you can't be in here. A woman heavens. Um, They invite her to have a drink. Yes. And they like (sighs) toast her. Uh, That didn't. After she begs the governor for help finding land, that entire sequence of scenes with her labeling her belongings for sale, seeing the empty house, all of, all of those belongings. The hold on. I want to, I really do want to go into the scene, but all of the belongings, all of the China, we see the close mm-hmm. up on the China and the crystal that she was so like paranoid and protective of at the beginning. All like the clock we'd seen multiple times. I like all of the possessions that she said that she needed, realizing that like she actually doesn't. She needs one carpet bag and that's it. But yeah. Oh my God. When Dennis comes back into the empty house and they've got the table set up 
with the wine and the fireplace, just like when they were on safari together. Yeah. And then they dance and then they dance outside. So they start inside and then dance outside. Oh my God, Ian, I was just in tears. Yeah. And that's when Dennis offers to fly her to Mombasa, I believe. Yeah. We get another scene of her going through Dennis's books. And curiously, Broer enters and is charged with delivering the news. God, that, he does a great job in the scene. Oh, my God. Well, so does Meryl Streep. Holy <laughs> shit. But he, he, Broer says that or gives her the news that Dennis crashed and burned up in his plane. The look that Meryl Streep had and the slight tremble to her hand as she's smoking. Like, uh, this is why I'm like, she didn't win. How dare she not win? <laughs> because the first part was so rocky. It was, but th- this, but she, no, this she is pulled great. it out. Holy shit. This is great. Shit. And I think she says, like, you're a brave, like, or she was like, why did they send you to tell me or something? And he says, I thought, like, I thought, or like, we thought it was only right. And she says, you are a brave man. Yeah. And that that's kind of what I was referencing when I was like, he's brave in different ways. Yeah. Like, he's a bit of a scumbag, but he has his moments. So I think the funeral and her leaving just oh wrecked my God. me. Her, she reads the poem. And and I do I do think there it's it's like from the gathered people like even though like Brewer is there like there is a recognition from everyone just like a silent recognition that like it, it was her and Dennis. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why she is the first person to put dirt but or she, not put well, dirt yeah, on the coffin. Yeah, she's supposed to put the handful of dirt, and she can't. And instead, just turning and walking away, and it's Ugh. up on that hillside where they had the same picnic. hillside. I, yeah, I, I, I cried there. I continued to cry because then it kind of goes into more. And this is where I was kind of okay with the voiceover as it's like wrapping up. And then she talks mm-hmm. about it. And, and at this point, it's just the hillside. And we're seeing a lion and a lioness like kind of prowl around that hillside. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, I received a letter from. Oh, wait, there's the bit of her at the train station saying goodbye to Farah that is. Also, I want to hear you say my name. Yes, oh. it's also just like heart wrenching, and they're both just oh, doing so much without saying it, and it's just great. Um, but I, so I don't know. I interpreted that because the scene, the very end, comes right after that scene. I interpreted it as the letter came from Farah. I did too, but I but don't. I don't know knows? if that's what I was supposed to. But that's how I interpreted it, and I like it that way. Um, but saying that. Um, lions had been seen on that hilltop you know it was kind of like a plateau now like laying down and surveying this uh the savannah below and uh the last line i'm tearing up again is dennis would like that i must remember to tell him oh my heart (laughs) oh i that moment i was sitting there remembering how the, the movie began and i was like sobbing into a glass of wine on my couch like i was like how did i get here i am so mad at the first half of this movie to be honest and like i think i texted you that where i'm like i am so angry that it was so disjointed i am 
like I realize that it's autobiographical, but there's still this cloud over the whole thing because it takes place in colonial Africa. Like at like that always gives me pause, even at these most emotional moments, which I, it, it I'm angry at the film for being complicated when in fact it complicated things Ian, are interesting. I'm, I was going to say, I'm, and also but, I'm so sorry, but it is autobiographical, which means it is I based know. on stuff that happened. <laughs> and um, as I think we said earlier, history is fucked. So, uh, so anyway, I'll leave it at that. But I, I was fully prepared to hate this movie. I was fully prepared to be like bored and to really dislike it. And then, like I said, like it, it snuck up on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say at times it still was a bit plodding. Mm-hmm. I think it probably could have been like two hours, 20 minutes, not two hours, 40 I, minutes. They just, but. and I know at the beginning they were trying to like <laughs> set up characters and context and stuff, but I just, I think there are, it could have, there are ways it could have been done more smoothly so that we could have gotten to the romance quicker because like, that is, that is why you watch this movie. You watch it for the mm-hmm. romance and the plane scene where you get the beautiful landscape shots. Like, Oh yes. Oh yes. Should we move into uh, rankings, dissect yeah, our think, complicated feelings and put a, yeah. a numerical value on it? When you put it that way, why are we even attempting a list? But <laughs> I, I, you don't know what else is fucked our lists. Um, remember, we're going to re-rank soon-ish, though. I'm so excited because I, I need have ranked it. myself into a corner again. Oh, God, I don't actually know where I want to put this. I think I know. Um, I'm, um, I'll go first. So I think once I do my re-rankings, it might end up being a little bit higher. But I'm currently going to put it kind of middle of the packish at number 31 after The Sting. Another Robert Redford mm. film. Um, the Sting, I thought was just better constructed. Um, especially considering like kind of how tricky that plot line is because you're watching a con go down. And I, I just, I liked the way that that movie kind of handled, um, the narrative and like the way it structured everything. Also, I just think like the performances were a little bit stronger throughout. I think I really enjoyed like the cinematography and set design in that one as well. Um, it's also like it's happy and didn't tear my heart to pieces. <laughs> so I appreciated that. But yeah, so I think I'm going to put it after the sting, but above Grand Hotel. Because Grand Hotel also has like some very tragic elements and a very tragic love story. Um, but I do think Out of Africa is stronger. And I think overall performances are stronger. I think there's more nuance to the love story. Etc. But yeah, so I that's probably a little bit low once we re-rank stuff, but kind of middle of the pack for me. And mostly because I just the beginning was so disjointed and it took mm-hmm. it took a while to get into the piece that I that like really grabbed me. But once it got to the piece that really grabbed me, I was very much in. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely going to be putting mine higher so I ended up at number 21, which again is kind of middle-ish of the pack, uh, but that's after In the Heat of the Night and before Patton. So you mentioned all of the disjointedness in the first half, and once it finally coalesced into something, it was great. I felt that In the Heat of the Night had this 
tidy is such an understated way to put it, but the mystery and solving that crime was just such a tightly written and tightly paced. That movie is story. Absolutely impeccable until the very end. Yes. And I'm forgiving it for the end because the vast majority of it is spectacular. Mm -hmm. And like visually, I think they share some characteristics, especially with how dark uh, and emotional some of the scenes can get. Uh, But again, in the heat of the night, I think just, superior when it comes to like the the overall construction of the, of the agreed. movie agreed i have story that one very, especially very high on my list um now with Patton, i, I think i'm gonna take the cop out and say like this is my list i can do with it. i want i did not give a shit about Patton. i was glad to see his downfall like just fuck right off this left me with like strong emotions and i had someone to root for and like I was able to get invested. I was not invested in Patton. True. I think I I remember, yeah, I remember you struggled with the character of Patton. I maintain that you're not supposed to actually like him necessarily in that movie. I agree with that. I think you're completely. not supposed to like him. I think you are watching, you are watching somebody spiral. Mm-hmm. And I guess to some extent we got to see, see that in out of Africa, but in a very different end emotional tear jerky sort of way yeah agreed and i just i just think the pacing is what like the reason i have it so like it's the pacing the pacing kind of killed it mm-hmm. for me and like how long it really took us to kind of get to see some of our characters open up and like really yeah. get into like that media emotional conflict um but in all fairness I'm pretending that the portion of the movie prior to the victory parade just didn't happen. Fair enough. So. I mean, the part that I'll remember, <laughs> like the part that's going to stick with me are like the safari scenes, like him washing her hair, the beautiful mm-hmm. plane ride, the ending, like those are the bits about the movie that like will stick with me that I'll like randomly think about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, number 21 for me, 31 for you, it sounds like so. Definitely middle third of the films we've done. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one that I'm probably like, probably isn't for everybody. But if you I'd can make it through the first bit, there is a really lovely romance there. If you are a fan of like uh, reading or watching romance, I would highly recommend it because I think it does a really, really good romance plot. Mm-hmm. All right. So next time. Next time we'll probably we doing... be in. Ho- we're going to probably be in. No, holidays. we'll have one more, I think, before holiday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we might as well get through Platoon. It's going to be another <sighs> God. wonderful Vietnam. I mean, like everything that I'm looking at seems like it's going to be impactful. Uh, probably going to be tough to watch. Yes, yeah, so next time should be Platoon. Um, they gave us a little break. They gave us a little romancy, and now they're going to throw us right back into the carnage. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it was written as an answer to a very, what I view as a jingoistic film, the green beret (laughs) going to be very interesting. Yeah. So join us next time for platoon. And then after that, we might be getting into our holiday programming. I don't know. Stay tuned. Yeah. You know, we're kind of just doing it live these days. (laughs) I think like most people. So thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. 
All right. Until next time, you can find us on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you haven't already, I'm just going to go ahead and plug Ian and I both did guest spots on the Cinemusts podcast recently. You should go check those out. Ian covered Red River and I covered Dr. Strangelove. So if you haven't listened to those already, you should go listen to those. Anything else we, we want to plug, Ian? I think that's it for now, but really appreciate y'all again sticking with us, listening through what was a mixed, but uh, ultimately, in my opinion, satisfying film. Um, it was a fun yeah, one to we'll, talk about. For sure. For sure. And uh, join us next time for Platoon.